Well, greetings, church. All right, you guys are a little better at 11. Let's try it again, though. Greetings, church. There we go. Happy New Year. If you have a Bible, would you open them to 1 Kings chapter 20? In a moment, we're going to take a look at God's Word. And as you turn there, I want to welcome the, those of you who are watching online, and of course our locations at MoCo, Loudoun, Arlington, and Prince William. We are so glad that you're here today with us. It's good to be together to worship our King, isn't it? And I am looking forward to sharing God's Word with you today. Beginning next week, we're inviting everyone to join us for 21 days of prayer. Here's a brief description of what it's going to look like here at NBC. It's time for us to surrender the new year to God by intentionally seeking Him every day in prayer for 21 days. The 21 days of prayer will begin on Monday, January 10th, and in conjunction with that, we're going to kick off a new sermon series that will start next Sunday, and it will be focused on prayer. We also have live prayer times during the day and night, Monday through Friday on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, and YouTube. So we're inviting you to join us and to take part of this 21-day challenge on prayer. And it's simple. Commit to spending intentional time in prayer every day starting next Monday, and we'll go all the way through January. And then believe it or not, it's a good idea to keep going after that. And just to be clear, this is for every boy and girl of every age. This is for the children, this is for the teenagers, and for us adults too. So in preparation for that, we're asking you to do four simple things. One, go to mcleanbible.org slash prayer. We've created an entire website full of resources to help you with your prayer life and to maximize these 21 days. As you explore the site, make sure you take a look at the Global Outreach Prayer Guide. They've done an excellent job to help you pray for the nations. It's an incredible resource. Two, sign up for the 21-day prayer challenge on that site. We want to make sure we know how many people are joining us, and we'll send you a short encouragement each week to keep you motivated. And then three, before next Sunday, fill out the 21-day prayer checklist that you'll see at the mcleanbible.org site. This will help you, your family, or your group as you prepare for the 21 days. And it will help you focus on the top three prayer requests that you want to decide to lead your family, your friends, or yourself in, in your daily routine and steps that you can take to get ready. And then the fourth thing, invite your family and friends to do the same three things. We'll share more details next Sunday, but we just want to give you a head start so you can get ready. So make sure you go to mcleanbible.org slash prayer, and that'll help you get jump started. I also want to encourage you in this new year to join us in our Bible reading plan. You can find it online, or you can get a copy of it in the lobbies at any of the locations. But it's so good to read the Word of God together so that we can encourage each other with what we're reading and what we're learning. All right. I wanted to share a story with you. Years ago, I was doing work in the Great Rift Valley. I was active duty, and it was an incredible place with mountains and valleys. The variety of wildlife and vegetation was stunning. And to help you understand the scale of the Great Rift Valley, imagine that you drove from L.A. to D.C., roughly 2,670 miles if you take I-40. You still have another 1,600 miles to go if you want to cover the entire Rift Valley. It's about 35 miles wide, and it is big. And it was definitely a challenging place to do military operations. A little over four years ago, I found myself back in this valley, but instead of having physical weapons of warfare with me, I had spiritual weapons, the Word of God. And it was an amazing time. 
I remember one rainy morning I was reading the Word of God, and I actually opened up to 1 Kings 20, and it struck me with the visuals of the mountains and the valleys. And here I was in the Great Rift Valley, and it was an amazing time. I made some notes, and even an asterisk, this would be a really cool sermon for New Year's Day one day. So I filed it away. Later that day I was riding in a safari vehicle headed to church. And the pastor was pointing out all the cool landscape items. And then down in the valley was this cute little church. And when we pulled up, he looked at me and said, so what are you preaching on today? This is the first I heard I was preaching. I said, well, how about 1 Kings 20? And he goes, I love it. Let's do it. I was like, all right. So, of course, he was my translator. And I preached away. And I will tell you what. Most of you know I'm a big fan of object lessons. And God confirmed in my heart, seeing this little church in a valley with mountains all around it, that this passage would solidify God's Word in their hearts, and it would be a constant reminder that God is the God of the mountains and the valleys. We also had a wonderful time of worship, and we fellowshiped together. And do you realize they actually don't drive to church there, they walk. And sometimes it takes them hours to get there. And so after church, they don't just rush home. They actually like to hang out and fellowship. And so we had a great time hanging out and fellowshipping, and I enjoyed my time immensely in that valley. It was a beautiful, just a beautiful reminder of who God was. But it made me think of a question I want to ask each one of you as we get started today. What about you? Do you know God, and do you know that God is the God of the mountains and the valleys? Because if you don't, my prayer today is that you will come to learn about Him from God's Word. Each of us, if we live long enough, will face highs and lows in this life. And I believe the key in facing each of them is to know that God is with his children, both in the situations that are the high life and the low life, and to trust in his goodness. And did you know, when I think of mountains and valleys, my heart goes to the Word of God. And today, I want to look at our passage and learn more about the God of the mountains and the valleys. So let me summarize the first 12 verses, and then we'll read verses 13 through 30. The first 12 verses are nothing more than two boys on a playground posturing up against each other. The king of Syria and the king of Israel. The words exchanged are basically banter back and forth, and the king of Syria is definitely playing the role of the bully. Sadly, the king of Israel is willing to give in to the demands to include his wealth, his wives, and even his children. Now, if you're a Bible student, you might come to understand that he had one wife named Jezebel, and so you maybe don't blame him for wanting to give her away. (laughs) But it's only when the king of Syria demands that his servants take anything else that the king of Israel develops a spine. After consulting with the elders of Israel, the king refuses to comply. This is met with boasting from the king of Syria, who pronounces judgment on them. And the king of Israel counters it with the modern-day version of Don't count your chickens until they hatch. So now let's pick up the story in verse 13, and we will read through verse 30. And remember, as always, this is the Word of God. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? He answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors of the districts, and they were 232. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. And they went out at noon, and while Ben-Hadad was drinking himself drunk in the booths, he and his 32 kings who helped him. 
The servants of the governors of the districts went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out scouts. And they reported to him, men are coming out from Samaria. He said, if they've come out for peace, take them alive. Or if they come out for war, take them alive. So they went out of the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them. And each struck down his man. The Syrians fled and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with horsemen. And the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. For in the spring the king of Syria will come up against you. And the servants of the king of Syria said to him, Their gods are the gods of the hills, and so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And do this. Remove the kings, each from his post, and put commanders in their places, and muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Apek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. But the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. Then on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the people of Israel struck down of the Syrians 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. And the rest fled to the city of Apek, and the wall fell upon 27,000 men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered an inner chamber in the city. Would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise you. For you are the God of the mountains and the valleys. Please open our eyes to your word and challenge our hearts to be more like Jesus. For those listening who are hurting, would you comfort them as only you can? For those present who are still exploring your great name, would you move on their hearts and cause them to respond to your amazing grace? We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. All right. So from our passage, we observe two battles and some great lessons to learn from them. But first, a spoiler alert. Neither king gets credit for these victories. Verses 13 and 28 remind us that God wins the battles so the people will know that He is the Lord. Just as God showed His people in the previous chapters with the showdown on Mount Carmel, so He will do it again on the battlefield. It's also an amazing picture of God's grace. King Ahab of Israel did nothing to deserve this grace. And as I was studying this, I thought there's a caution for each one of us too. I would like to remind us that we have done nothing to deserve God's grace either. You see, over and over we read that Ahab rejects God's word. He has no fear of the Lord, and he certainly doesn't rule with wisdom. As a matter of fact, King Ahab is the only king who has his queen listed in Scripture. Many biblical scholars believe that is because Queen Jezebel was the actual ruler. Both battles have similar outlines in Scripture. There's a physical threat, godly intervention, victory from the Lord, and a post-op report. In the first battle, Syria places Israel in a siege. They used horses and chariots, relying on man's power. God's people have learned from Psalm 20, verse 7, 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Yet Ahab didn't trust in the Lord, and God showed up anyway. As I was reflecting on this passage in Africa that rainy morning, I recalled that many people struggle with evil in the world and place the blame on God. Yet, when we look at God's grace and mercy granted to mankind, seldom do any of us have a problem with this, especially when it's applied to us. Doesn't it make you thankful for God's patience in your own life? 2 Peter 3.9 reminds us, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And we will discuss more about this later. To make sure God's people know he gets the credit for this battle, he has the king of Israel take only 232 servants along with the faithful 7,000. Most likely the 7,000 that are mentioned are from chapter 19, verse 18. The first battle was a blowout and Israel defeats Syria and they are on the run. Before any celebration takes place, the unnamed prophet instructs the king of Israel to get ready for another battle in the spring. Before any celebrations. And so meanwhile, the king of Syria gets some really bad advice. You see, his servants suggest to him that Israel's God is the God of the mountains, but that he is not the God of the valleys. Not only is Syria challenging God's people, but they are also challenging God himself. They then ask the king to raise another mighty army and fight Israel in the valley. Springtime arrives and the mighty army of Syria is on display in the valley and they take up the entire countryside. Israel's army is described as two little flocks of goats. But no verse 28. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. In the second battle, Israel strikes down 100,000 soldiers in one day, and then 27,000 more perish when the wall falls upon them. The victory could only be given to God Almighty. What a reminder for Israel, for Syria, and for each one of us today. That the God of Israel is the God of mountains and the God of the valleys. Now, I can hear some of you thinking right now, thanks a lot, Todd, for this uplifting message. Two foolish kings and thousands of people died. Happy New Year to you too. But hang with me. Remember, I said there's some important lessons that we can learn from this passage today. Here's the first one. We can learn lessons from good and bad examples in Scripture. For example, in the SEAL teams, it was really important that we documented all our lessons learned. Whether we were doing operations or training, we came back and we documented every one of the things that we did, good and bad, so that we wouldn't repeat those same mistakes. And a lot of times we'd have to encourage the new guys to read the lessons learned because most of them, sadly, were learned in blood, sometimes loss of life. So we emphasize the importance of lessons learned. But you don't have to be in the military to appreciate lessons learned. Most of you have had a boss or a leader in your lives, and maybe even some bad ones. But just because you have a poor example doesn't mean you can't learn from them. In fact, you can learn what not to do by bad examples. No matter if it's a boss, a parent, or any other role, if we pay attention, we can learn how to do things better. The same is true for these two foolish kings. They are a perfect example of what not to do and how not to live. As foolish as they were, 
we also need to remember our hope isn't in the imperfect examples of men and women. I wouldn't count on the best five minutes I've ever lived to earn my salvation, and I hope you wouldn't either. Instead, our hope is in the perfect righteousness of our Lord Jesus. Our goal is to become more like him as we rely on the Holy Spirit and walk in daily obedience with him. Consider what God's word says about Jesus in Philippians 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Along with learning from good and bad examples, we also need to remember our second point. The God of our exceptional days is the God of our regular days too. This past year, I had the honor of leading numerous couples in premarital counseling. We would always start in our home, my wife and I, and we would listen to the couples to get to know them. And then I officiated their weddings. And in every wedding, I shared with the bride and groom that love is blind and marriage is an eye-opener. Those of you who are laughing have been married for a while. This was done out of love as the wedding day is usually an exceptional day and one of celebration. For those who have been married for some time, they also know there are some regular days too. This past year we also welcomed new life, not just in our own family, but in our church family too. And of course this past year there were birthdays that were celebrated and anniversaries, and they were so good. They were exceptional days and it was easy to recognize as God present in them. Along with these incredible days, there were a whole bunch of regular days too. Days that many of us would describe as the daily grind, work, chores, kids to care for, too little sleep, too many hours commuting, and on and on the list goes. For many people, no matter where you land on views of the health crisis, you are over it and your regular days have become bad days. Mental health workers are overwhelmed and they're not able to keep up with the demand to meet with patients. Record numbers of pastors have resigned and church doors have closed forever. It's fair to say that regular days have become bad days for many people. Yet, I've discovered that these regular days are where much of the living takes place and where God shapes us to be more like His Son. Years ago, my wife and I were watching the Winter Olympics. And one athlete stood out. And those of you that watch the Olympics are probably aware of the documentaries they do on these athletes. You see, we get to see them on the medal stand, and they get the gold medal, and we praise them for their world records. But we really don't see the daily grind that they go through. And this one young man was exceptional. You see, he was a medical doctor and a speed skater from Norway. And he was training for the Olympics in Africa. Now, I will tell you, if you haven't traveled much, Africa is not the prime location to find ice to speed skate. And yet, this young man, as he served as a medical doctor and treated people in villages, in his free time he had a sheet of plywood and he strapped these big cinder blocks to his feet and he pushed back and forth for hours to keep his legs in shape. And do you know what happened? When he came back and he was at the Olympics, 
He broke every world record that he entered, and he got a gold medal for every time that he competed. It was simply amazing. But it made me think of these exceptional days where we see people like this, or maybe we even recall days when we've had exceptional days, but we forget on how God works in our own lives on the regular days, that daily grind where he works on us and develops us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. My prayer is that each of us would be able to respond on our exceptional days and our regular days, just like the psalmist in Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Or how about the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And for my Bible students out there, you know context matters. These words were not written by a man sitting poolside being fed grapes. Instead, they were written by a man who was getting ready to have his head removed. Words matter, especially with the context. And it brings us to our third and final point. The God of our joys is the God of our sorrows too. God has allowed me to climb some amazing mountains around the world, and the effort to summit them is tremendous, and the view is priceless. But one thing is consistent with each and every mountain that I've ever climbed. There is nothing growing up there. I mean nothing. And yet, it's from those views on top of those mountains that you can look down into the valleys and you can see tremendous growth, things that are alive. I think there's a lesson there for us. Enjoy those wonderful mountaintop days, but be aware that in the sorrowful, deep days in the valley, God is at work growing you to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it in view of eternity? Absolutely. I'm also convinced of this. When we share in our joys with one another, they become multiplied because we can share and we can celebrate what God is doing in our lives. But I've also learned this. When we share in our sorrows, that burden and that weight becomes divided and we can hand it off to our brothers and sisters and share the load with them. This is why we've encouraged each and every one of you to join a church group, to share life together and to live out the one another's found in scripture. To care and grow together and to make disciples is one of the greatest joys we can experience. Every time I meet a man or a woman and they begin a discipleship relationship, they come back and tell me, I feel like this is what I was made to do. And you know why? It's because they're right. But I want to give you a disclaimer. Church groups are not perfect. Do you know why? Because people are involved. People like you, people like me. And yet, I will tell you that doing life together is worth it, and it will remind you of why God has placed you here. When I shared from this passage in Africa with the stunning mountains and the valleys all around that little church, I was reminded of what God allowed me to see the previous week while I was there. I witnessed new life arrive with all the joy that comes with it, a father and a mother who were so excited and nervous, like every parent who's ever had the birth of a child. And I also visited a home where a mother and a father lost a baby due to malnutrition. I remember playing with their little son and daughter while the pastor and his wife ministered to their parents. The kids' names are David and Nancy, and I have pictures on the wall at Prince William location to remind the people there of little David and little Nancy. They're a constant reminder for me of the desperate physical needs in the world around us. They're also a pressing reminder 
that there are billions of people around the world who still don't know who Jesus Christ is. Makes you want to ask a question. How will these billions of people know unless somebody goes and tells them? I had the privilege of doing some street preaching in Ethiopia, and I remember running into a group of teenage boys. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to challenge them to a feat of strength. Not the smartest thing to do as you get older, but I thought maybe if I can defeat them in a feat of strength, they'll listen for five minutes. And so that was a challenge that I shared with the interpreter, and the boys were like, it's on, let's do it. And I could see in their eyes, they're like, we're going to take this old man down. And so the challenge was this. We were in an alley, and I said, we're going to do a wall sit. So we put our backs up against the wall, we squatted down to 90 degrees, I'll spare you the visual, and then you have to stick out your hands. And I said, the first, or the last one left wins. And if I'm last, I just ask that you guys would listen to me for five minutes. One by one, the boys started dropping, but the ringleader was tough. And he was looking at me, and he was like, oh, I got you, old man. So we kept going. I met it, done it a little bit of praying. And would you know, that young man dropped, and I had my five minutes. But before I shared, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and say, you know what? Maybe you should ask them if he, they even know my son's name. And so that's how I started. I said, how many of you boys have heard of the name Jesus Christ? And none of them had. And the one ringleader said, tell me more. I'd like to know who this Jesus is. And so I did. And I'll tell you today, whether you're here physically or you're watching online, I had the greatest privilege in the whole world of sharing the good news. You see, the gospel is the good news. And when you read the Bible, you learn that God created you to be with him. It's the greatest news of all. But did you know there's also bad news in the Bible? The Bible says our sin separates us from a holy God. And if you don't believe in a sin nature, just hang out with a two-year-old. A two-year-old will let you know that you were born with a sin nature. It's amazing. They're hardwired. They stomp that foot, they look at you, and they say no. They weren't taught that. It's hardwired. And here's the deal. Not only have every one of us sinned, and that separates us from a holy, loving God, but to make matters worse, our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. The Bible says our very best works are like filthy rags to a holy God. There's nothing we can do to remove it. So what are we to do? Well, God knew that we needed help. And we just celebrated the birth of Jesus at Christmas. That's why he sent his son to live a perfect life with no sin. And then you know what he did? He died in your place and he died in mine. And the best news of all is God did not leave him dead. And here's where I get excited every time I have the opportunity to share, whether it's boys in the middle of the world or people in a church or anywhere else. Did you realize, according to God's word, everyone, and I mean everyone, who places their faith and trust in what Jesus Christ has done can have eternal life, and it can begin today. Please don't limit an all-powerful God and think you've done too much to be forgiven for. Our God stands ready to forgive you, to restore you, and give you eternal life, and it can begin today. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Would you agree nothing is too hard for our God? Amen. Each of us need to be reminded that our God is the God of the mountains and the valleys, the highs and the lows of each day the Lord allows us to live. Now, I'll also say this. I can't begin to imagine what each one of you are going through today. 
Some of you welcome the new year with joy and you're excited for 2022. Some of you welcomed it with uncertainty or maybe even fear. I want to encourage you with God's word. I go to Psalm 139 often to encourage my own heart. Listen to what God has to say. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, I hesitate to share this next part, but I really felt God leading me to share it. I've shared with my wife a few months ago that I think as a pastor, I need to spend less time with a bullhorn telling people what to do and spend more time looking in the mirror and actually just trying to live out how God directs me. The people at Prince William, where we serve, know that I've suffered for the last 12 years with chronic migraines. They've definitely been a thorn in my flesh, and on a bad month, they've been up to two dozen. They certainly are one of those things that you question in your alone time as you're suffering with chronic pain. But during this season of having pain that doesn't go away, the Lord's been able to teach me a few things. One, there are some things out of my control, and that's hard for us guys, right? Sometimes we think we can control everything, but chronic pain, it can teach you to be humble because there are some things you can't control. Two, it's taught me to really live out Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, that classic verse we teach children, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You can meditate on that verse all day long, to trust in the Lord. Are you trusting in yourself or are you trusting in the Lord? And then with all your heart, and then not to lean on my own understanding, but to understand that God has a plan for what I'm going through and what you're going through. God has also used this time to develop in me a heart that cares for those who are hurting. I actually get it. Chronic pain is hard. Like others who have suffered from chronic pain, there have been dark days. But I also believe for those who bear a thorn in the flesh, it allows us to pin back the veil and see God just a little more clearly, to understand his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. And when I think of suffering and those who can see clearly, who have a grasp on things eternal, I think of a young lady I met just a little over five years ago. You see, I had a mom and dad come down to the altar after the church service at Prince William with tears in their eyes. And they said, Pastor, would you come to our house? Our daughter has stage four cancer and she has two months to live. Now that's a hard visit to go on. And as I was praying and driving to that location, I was like, what am I to do, Lord? And when I sat in front of this woman, her name is Eleanor, I was amazed at where she was already at. Thankfully, she was a believer, but she was also very aware of Philippians 121. She understood to live as Christ. She had a little girl, and she understood that if she died, it was gain. She believed that with all her heart. So I want you to hear her story now.
My name is Eleanor Angler and I'm 34 years old and um, I have a wonderful husband, Johnny, um, beautiful daughter, she's three. Um, and uh, right after Christmas, I was diagnosed with a stage four, um, very rare, very aggressive cancer. Well, you don't think that you're gonna get news like that. You know, I'm young, um, you just, I didn't feel like I had stage four cancer, but I do. My oncologist uh, has shared that statistically, um, someone in the state has around two to six months to live. I just think about my family and how that'll affect my family. Um, I've prayed harder than I've ever prayed in my life. Um, I'm just asking God to get me through and he has. And the last day I went to work was right before Christmas break. I haven't been back to work since. Um, I retired at 34 years old from my job as a school counselor. Never thought in a million years that would happen, but here I am. And that's just for the purpose of spending time, as much time as I can with my family, my daughter. You know, I've said this to my husband that we don't really focus on the eternal, and this has given me an opportunity to really focus on the eternal um, and just the beauty of life and how wonderful of a gift that really is. Every day that you have with your family is a blessing, um, whether it's a hard day or an easy day, just having that time with your, with your family, with your children. We don't know what tomorrow will hold. I certainly didn't know what was gonna um, you know, be, um, be happening to me, but here we are. Hope could mean um, either way I go, whether I beat this, you know, I have hope that I could be healed, um, or you know, I'll see Jesus and I'll be taken care of no matter what, my family will be taken care of no matter what. Everything here is temporary um, and it's easy to really get wrapped up in little things. Um, they may not seem little to us, but in the grand scheme of things, eternally these little things aren't going to matter. You know, whether we have a bad day at work, um, I've learned to just be thankful for having a day here with my family. I mean, it's, it's difficult because, you know, I think about what I'm leaving behind here and my husband and my family and just how much they mean to me. And um, he just reassures me, you know, no matter what, it's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. Just to know that no matter what happens here, sickness will continue to have eternal life. And that's just the greatest gift we could ever have. I spoke with Eleanor Friday and asked permission if I could show this video. She's still with us. She's a fighter. She's also had more rounds of chemo and more surgeries than I can count. Yet, she's living proof that sometimes your best witness is in your worst circumstance. She's allowing this event to be used for the glory of God. I spoke with Eleanor and she's praying for each one of you that you would come to the same realization that she has, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. To know that God is the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys. Oh, I pray that each one of you would walk away with that understanding, with that hope. One of the things that struck me also with visiting with her is that she said, Todd, Make sure you let them know that our hope is found in Christ. Don't leave here today without having hope. We have a new year ahead of us. And for those of you that have Christ, 
Think of all the people you can share that hope with. Each and every day matters. Eleanor also knows Proverbs 27.1, that we're not to boast about tomorrow, for we do not know what a day will bring forth. May we be a people who live on mission and proclaim the glory of God each and every day he gives us. May we let people know that our God is the God of the mountains and he's the God of the valleys. Let's pray. Father God, we praise your great name, for you are worthy of our adoration. And we thank you that you are the God of the mountains and the God of the valleys. Father, would you comfort my brothers and sisters who are deep within the valley today? Would you remind them that there is nowhere they can go where you are not with them? And Father, I also ask that you break hearts of stone and turn them into hearts of flesh. Bring men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And unlike Ahab, may they receive your grace and mercy that was displayed on the cross. May today be the mountaintop day for many as they celebrate new life found in Christ. And we ask all this in the name above all names, the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. amen.